just the word spa. I feel like you're starting to say a word and you're not finishing it. Are you trying to say spaghetti? Are you taking me for a spaghetti day? Hi, everybody. This is Corey Atkinson back with you on the Pro Wrestling Elitist Podcast for October the 27th, 2020. Thank you all for joining us today. I can't wait to talk about the show that we've got in store for you. First, just a couple of housekeeping notes. Primarily, we are back on Adobe. We are not using the Anchor app at the moment for the next four weeks, maybe longer, hopefully. Um, we'll be back on Adobe. This is not because I got a job, but I feel like we're getting close. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. This is more or less a, a, a situation that in in searching for a job, um, there came a situation where I needed to have a PDF editor. Adobe was the best bet because I was already kind of committed to it. Lo and behold, that means I also get audition back for well, again, uh, the this and another three weeks afterwards. So we're going to make the most of it. I'm going to try to maybe up my podcast game as far as putting them out more frequently while we've got the ability to. But more on that later. Let's go ahead and talk about today's show. Today's show, we are going to focus on some of the failures, our perceived failures within All Elite Wrestling and how AEW turned those failures around. If you're looking for a list of things that AEW just isn't doing well, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not going to do that list right now. That is not what this is about. We are looking at times that AEW faced different challenges and they were able to pivot and they came out better on the other side because of that. So think about their adaptability, their resiliency and capitalizing on having an insanely talented group of individuals, men and women working for them. Um, yeah, you know, I, I want to celebrate that. Those are things that deserve to be celebrated. People, people fail all the time and there's a perceived notion in the world that failure is inherently a bad thing. And we go along with it, that failure you know, failure makes you less than no, that's bullshit. Failure doesn't make you less than anything. It makes you human humans fail. We fail all the time. I mean, failure is perceived by, by many to be a weakness. And if, if that's the case, then we're all weak. And if that's the case, then there isn't a single one of us that should be standing on our, our, you know, um, our, our pedestal, our, our golden pedestal, looking down at the, the people that we feel are, are, are less than us. Fuck that. That's bullshit. No, this is about empowerment. This is about acknowledging that people sometimes make decisions. They don't work out. And that failure is nothing to be feared. It should be embraced, but it's also the recognition of that failure that allows us to pivot and make better decisions and hopefully come out on the other side better. You know, it's the whole, you know, um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. 
i.e. WWE, the Fed, right? <laughs> that, that is entirely what they do. That is what their business is predicated on. Vince McMahon doesn't know how to pivot, whereas Tony Khan empowers those around him to be able to pivot. Yes, he is kind of the, the person that is the final say, but he's not so deluded as to recognize when something is or isn't working. And when he has the opportunity to turn it around, he does, or at least try something different, you know, go in a different direction or don't get so married to an idea that you become stuck or complacent. Anyway, that's enough preamble. You guys all get my take on failure and how I believe personally that it's a good thing. Let's go ahead and look at some examples right now of where AEW initially failed but turned things around and tried something different. They, They pivoted. Before we get into this, I should also note that this is not meant to be a listicle type of a thing. Um, Obviously, it's a podcast, so it can't be a listicle, but it could be done, I guess, theoretically in that vein. That is not what I'm doing. Um, These aren't going to be ranked in any particular order, but let's start off looking at the first one. And I feel like most people can agree that this was a, a very big failure. It was the Nightmare Collective. So. For those of you who may be joining the podcast that aren't as familiar with the history of AEW, um, granted, it's only been about a year. um, Towards the the onset of AEW, there was a faction called the Nightmare Collective. It was spearheaded by Brandy Rhodes and Awesome Kong. Over time, it also brought into AEW Luther and Mel. Um, I believe that's all the players. I don't think I'm missing anybody, but if I am, I apologize. Essentially, what the group was is they were a a almost kind of a gothic type of a faction, and they would go around beating people up and cutting their hair. <laughs> and that was what they did through cutting um, people's hair. You know, it was seen as a trophy for Awesome Kong, but in the case of Mel, who still has her head shaved, it was seen as a initiation into the group and it kind of caused her to snap. Same with Allie. Allie prior to the nightmare collective. She was like a bubbly. She was essentially her character from aid or from, from impact wrestling. She was fun and bubbly and lighthearted, but she got attacked by Awesome Kong and Brandy Rhodes and had her hair cut. Not much, just like a strand, basically. But that, that caused her to snap. And with Allie snapping, she became the bunny and brought in the butcher and the blade. So that's how we got them. So if you didn't know that, now you know. But back to the Nightmare Collective. It was a foursome, like I said, of Brandy Rhodes, Awesome Kong, Luther, and Mel, a.k.a. Melanie Cruz. And they didn't last very long. Um, At the time, many people were very vocal about how the Nightmare Collective, they weren't interesting. They weren't doing anything unique. And in fact, at the time, it felt very similar to the Dark Order. And then, like, Right after 
is one of the first people that the, the Nightmare Collective attacked was Allie, if you remember. And Allie brought in the Butcher and the Blade. And the Butcher and the Blade also had a very similar feeling to the Nightmare Collective. None of these three groups were aligned with one another. So it became very convoluted with groups kind of feeling the same or, or similar at least. And over time, the Dark Order has become very much its own thing. And over time, the Butcher and the Blade have gotten a little bit more away from that whole gothic appearance. And they're more, I don't know, they, they have more of an identity, more of a, a more, more personality, I guess you would say, especially now that they've got Eddie Kingston with them and they're part of uh, Eddie Kingston's family. I, I don't know if they're ever going to get more of a formal name than that, but that's the name that I got for him for now. Anyway, I'm off track. So the Nightmare Collective, it was essentially deemed to be a failure. And with that failure, they had to dissolve the group. And they did. The first thing that they did was they had these different uh, video packages, uh, very short video packages. Of, uh, essentially, it was Brandy in a therapist's office or, or some kind of a situation like that. And she was kind of confiding in this therapist who ended up being a doll. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But eventually uh, I think it was like her third or fourth therapy session. She kind of came out of her, her dark order, not dark order, her nightmare collective mindset. And this was, I should note, a mindset that was um, exacerbated by her collision with her husband on the first night of Dynamite. Um, Cody went for a suicide dive on a Sammy Guevara and Sammy pulled Brandy in front of him. Brandy ended up eating the Tope Suicida. And through that Tope Suicida, she did get her, her bell rung pretty good as she uh, flew back into the guardrail and... Uh, her head collided with with the steel. Can I sit here and tell you in in full confidence that um, Brandy was was actually injured? No, but I mean, if I took that bump and <laughs> if I was the one flying backwards into the guardrail, I can tell you in in full. Um, yeah, I guess in full confidence. I you reuse the phrase again, but I can't think of another one. That I would have fucking, yeah, my head would be split open and I would be concussed and that would be a very bad time. I'd be on the ground just crying, going, ow, 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 like the, the grape lady, the grape lady. Anyway, so the group was dissolved essentially when Brandy reemerged on AEW Dynamite one week, maybe two weeks removed from uh, more of a public fallout of, of the group. But Brandy came out to stand by her husband's side when Cody Rose was being whipped by MJF with the 10 lashes. So that was one of the things that Cody had to go through, had to endure to be able to get his rematch or not rematches, his match, I guess, his, his first ever match, his only match against MJF. Brandy came out towards the end of the lashes and held her, her husband's hand 
It was a very good moment. It was very emotional. It was great use of Brandy. And I think I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm positive that Brandy wants to be doing more than what she's doing right now uh, uh, from a, a television capacity. I believe that she is completely fulfilled with her work as the chief brand officer for AEW. But I also believe that she feels like she could be doing a lot more contributing, contributing a lot more. Um, and I believe she will, especially with a couple of threads that are still out there with Brandy Rose and Red Velvet and Anna Jay and possibly Tay Conti. I'm excited to see what they do with that. But back to the matter at hand. Brandy Rhodes comes to the aid of her, her husband, Cody, at that time. This is pre-pandemic, I should add. Awesome Kong was getting ready to leave AEW to take a hiatus to go film. I believe it was season four of Glow, the, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. The show on Netflix that just recently got canceled. Kong was a pivotal character, pivotal role on that show. So she was going back to film and clearly that did not work out, but they wrote her up by having Melon Luther attack her. So hypothetically, if Kong does ever come back as a wrestler, which remains to be seen, I hope she does get some kind of a proper send off. If her in ring career is going to come to an end, but Mel laid waste to her. She was that that's how, that's how Kong went away. So in theory, AEW could always go back to having booking Mel like a monster and having awesome Kong come back to get a revenge. But that also could potentially lead to Kong and Brandy doing something down the line too. Who knows? So the problem, right? The problem was the nightmare collective wasn't working. How did they fix it? They went back to what they knew worked. We knew that Brandy can help keep on sympathy to Cody. Cody at the time, and arguably still is, the top or one of the top baby faces of your company. And what do baby faces need? They need sympathy. His wife was able to help garner, garner him that. And with all the other wheels kind of that were, were in motion with the Nightmare Collective, they were able to, you know, sever, sever those ties, so to speak. Kong was able to get written off for, for her other work that she needed to go do. Luther was able to, to go and start a tag team with Serpentico. And Mel uh, most recently took part in the... Um, AEW women's tag team championship or not championship, the, the tournament essentially. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with Mel um, going forward. I think that Mel, I don't know a lot about her. I want to see her do well. She's kind of the one loose thread off this nightmare collective um, faction that is still kind of there. I hope they find a way to, to kind of tie that up. Moving on though. The next thing I want to talk about is Britt Baker. Everybody loves Britt Baker. Now, 
months ago, a year ago, whatever it might be. Um, people weren't crazy about Britt Baker. I was not crazy about Britt Baker. She was a very boring, very bland baby face. And, you know, she did what she she did what she could with what she was asked to do. She was brought in at that point in time to be the face of AEW's women division. But it wasn't working. And they realized pretty early on um, that it wasn't working. I feel like towards the end of 2019, as they were coming into 2019, uh, the, the specific moment in my mind that pops was the Jericho Cruise, which I believe was the first, maybe the second show coming off of uh, the new year. Anyway, uh, Jericho Cruise, Britt Baker turns heel, starts making fun of Tony Schiavone. And Britt Baker really finds herself in this throwback to what Chris Jericho was doing 30 years ago. She's the role model. Chris Jericho was the role model. Chris Jericho had Ralphus. Britt Baker's got Rebel or Reba, whatever you want to call her. It was a, a very dynamic character change, and it needed to happen for Britt Baker to, I would say, stay in the good graces of the fans. Um, I, I feel like Britt Baker probably had more rope than most due to the fact that she is uh, a friends, very, very good friends of Brandy, the bucks, Cody, Kenny, and that whole, whole contingent, the group the, the EVPs essentially. And her husband or not husband, her boyfriend. I'm surprised he's not her husband at this point in time, but maybe they got some other thing going on. Who knows? But Adam Cole, baby. Adam Cole, um, very close with that group as well. Um, Britt Baker seemed to keep getting opportunity after opportunity, especially after some kind of high profile botches. And again, not necessarily her fault, but. They ha- <clears throat> they happened. They they were uh, very visible in, in the eyes of the fans. You know, name, the one namely that that comes to my mind was she went to the wrong corner to tag out when she was kind of starting a feud with B Priestley. It was B and I forget the 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 woman's name, but a, a prominent competitor from the Japanese wrestling scene from from I assume Tokyo Joshi. And if memory serves, Britt Baker was teaming with Riho and Britt went to the wrong corner, eventually realized it. But from from my memory, from recollection, she got rocked pretty good by, I think, a shot from B Priestley. So. Where am I going with this, right? Where, where I'm going with this is Britt Baker came in and and much like a Roman Reigns um, circa five years ago, people felt like she was being forced down their throat. People weren't into the idea that this is the person that I'm supposed to cheer for. So she broke bad. They changed her, her character just a little bit, right? I mean, she, she always kind of had 
when you when you heard her on the 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 commentary for matches or her interviews like you could tell that yes she is a very pretty face and is pretty decent in the ring but she her the way she spoke the way she carried herself like she you knew i knew at least that she was going to be a better bad guy and lo and behold you know just a couple tweaks to her character a couple of additions she was and is the now the legitimate face of that women's division it's not hikaru shida it's not riho it's not nyla rose Britt baker is what makes that women's division run and the sad thing is that she's been out injured for months i don't know how many i'll say four maybe six but she's been out for a long time just recently coming back to the ring as of last week she's been feuding with big swole that's done thank god now baker wants nyla rose gets a rematch at hikaru shida which sounds like will probably happen at full gear you need to have Britt Baker be the one that dethrones Hikaru Shida. And I don't care if that happens at the Revolution pay-per-view or if that happens on Dynamite. It needs to happen. Britt Baker needs the title. We need to have almost a reset button on that women's division. That's another problem and, and a different topic for a different day. But Britt Baker right now is your way out. Now that she's back healthy, now that she's able to compete, you need to hot shot that over to Brit. The next thing I want to focus on is cross promotional partnerships. So if you remember at the onset of the, the announcement of AEW, there was a lot of discussion and a lot of conversation essentially around the uh, partnerships between all the elite wrestling and companies like OWE and AAA other companies too, I believe, but those are the two that really stand out in my mind right now. And those, they, they, they brought in strong hearts from OWE and they wrestled a handful of matches primarily the one that stands out to me was Shima versus Kenny Omega, which was I'm going to say fighter fest, but don't quote me on that. Um, but regardless, we've got Kenny Omega, you know, brokering deals over in Japan as well with groups like stardom and Tokyo Joshi So it was very interesting to me to see that after a couple of months of these promotional cross promotional opportunities really dried up, you know, in the, the vein of, of, of AEW partnering with AAA, the, there's two things that stand out to me that happened. Eh, Maybe three, actually, you know, the, the young bucks were able to fight the Lucha brothers for the AAA tag team championships. Kenny Omega went to uh, Mexico and won the AAA Mega Championship, which is their world title, essentially. And then uh, Fabi Apache competed in the Women's Casino Battle Royal. That's not much, man. Like, it, it's I, I feel like there hasn't been. Oh, and 
Ah, that's right. The Laredo kid, I believe, uh, came and teamed with Ray Phoenix and Penta to take on the Bucks and, and Kenny Omega. But for a partner for, for two partnerships that they were touting very strongly, they, they just kind of dissolve. Like, you know, you don't hear about either of them right now. I know that a few days ago, they did announce that Kenny Omega will be traveling to Mexico to hopefully defend the mega championship against. Maybe it was the Laredo kid. Actually, I don't remember, but Kenny Omega is going to go down there uh, for triple mania. Likely drop the title would be my, my assumption because he's not really able to go down there and compete. So their top prize, the, the biggest thing that they've got in triple a isn't currently being defended, but pandemic pending Kenny Omega is going to go down to triple mania and compete for triple a once again, which is, is very cool. But it wasn't until the NWA and Thunder Rosa became a viable option for AEW that they actually appeared to understand the opportunity of cross promotion the way that they brought in Thunder Rosa, the way that they got her over on their television was incredible. And, and the fact of the matter is Thunder Rosa is the best thing AEW had in their women's division for a long time. And for a while, I was a huge fan of, of Hikaru Shida. I thought she was looking fucking great, but something's happened and maybe she's hurt and I don't know, but she is slowed down. She does not compete with the same ferocity, the same speed, the same confidence. And maybe that's just the pressure of being a champion. I don't know. But Thunder Rosa, when she came in, she came in looking like a million goddamn bucks. Like if she was a free agent, if she wasn't bound to an NWA contract, I'm building my division around her and, and Britt Baker. But from, from a competition standpoint, from somebody that can get it done in the ring, 100% Thunder Rosa. But, you know, there's still money on the table with Thunder Rosa and AEW, thanks to the relationship that was made between Billy Corgan and Tony Khan. Thunder Rosa came in. She, she defeated Serena Deeb. Um, and, and actually, that, that was a match that got Serena Deeb a contract with AEW, which is phenomenal. Well-deserved. Uh, carrying on Thunder Rosa went on and had very competitive matches against um, Sheeta and I mean, I guess evil least where that thing was kind of a shit show and that's unfortunate, but they, they left it in a spot where evil East and Diamante had jumped Thunder Rosa after Thunder Rosa had beaten an evil East. Hikaru Shida comes in for the save and it felt like there was still some unfinished business between Thunder Rosa, Sheeta, and Diamante and Ivalice. I'm interested to see if they pick that back up. I really hope they do. But that's that's a different topic for a different day as well. What I will say in this in, in this moment where where the NWA isn't really running. And by, I should say, the NWA, I mean, like the main Billy Corgan branch, not the little offshoots. I mean, the NWA proper, they aren't running. 
So seeing Thunder Rosa back on my television, watching her just be a, a absolute uh, phenom in the ring. We wouldn't have got that if it wasn't for cross promotional partnerships and learning from potentially the mistakes of OWE and AAA. And now we've got a good strong partnership between the AEW contingent and the NWA contingent. And the final one that I want to hit on right now is COVID-19. If you remember back when things were starting to break in in February and March around the COVID-19 virus and it coming to uh, the United States, I was very vocal about AEW should not be running shows. I appreciated what Ring of Honor did and the NWA did, even though some of their circumstances were a little bit different. Even MLW, you know, they, they just shut down. Like, we need to figure out our shit. Like we need to get our house in order. So they did, they took the time. They took the summer essentially to kind of figure out what they needed to do to make sure that the talents that they were paying essentially, um, that they were taken care of, that their families were considered that they had every opportunity to opt out and not be punished for it. Whereas WWE and AEW, decided to continue running, right? They were the only two that I can think of. Eventually new Japan joined, but that was much later in the game when Japan, you know, they, they have under 10,000 deaths in Japan, whereas the United States currently, and this is current numbers, United States got 230, essentially 230, uh, 230,000, uh, dead, Americans from the COVID-19 virus directly from the COVID-19 virus. So Japan had shit more under control. So they were able to run again. Whereas the United States hadn't even begun to figure out their, their situation. And then frankly, we still haven't. All we're doing is, is, is fighting one another about this fucking virus and other things, but we can't even come together on Stimulus packages to take care of our fucking people. It's ridiculous. But people here in the States already know about that. People outside of the States, I'm sure they they really know about that because they're just watching us just implode. But COVID-19 was a very uh, divisive situation to say the least. The, The good and the bad here, right? The bad? Nobody was prepared. But the good is in the situation where a pandemic hit, AEW figured out a successful business continuation plan to make sure that they were still able to operate, put on shows and do so safely. Um, I, I would say that a lot of credit goes out to Tony Khan and Doc Sampson and the teams that, that managed that crisis for AEW, where they were able to very quickly mobilize, get what they needed and take care of their talents. You know, um, in doing contact in, in them doing, and by them, I mean different organizations, but with, with contact tracing and things of that nature, they were able to determine pretty early on that AEW was doing a really good job of, of not spreading the coronavirus. 
Whereas there was a lot of positives happening at different WWE venues because they didn't really take it seriously. They're doing fucking a forehead scan and that was it. Whereas if you're going to AEW, you have to go through the, the, the best available COVID testing, right? If you're positive, you're out. You don't even get to come in, right? You, you get your, your, your nose swapped or whatever it is. I said swapped. I meant swabbed, but (laughs) you fucking get it. You know, they, they did, they took the necessary steps to ensure that everybody was safe. And during the time when I was critical of them for continuing to run, it reinforced my belief that AEW was doing right by their talents. Um, as, as things were continuing on with, with the virus, people were learning more information and and news and, and science were being discovered and, and reported. It was really, um, encouraging to see that AEW was true to their word that if, if you wanted to stay home because you didn't feel safe flying, or if you couldn't fly in in general, because that was a problem then too, like, um, stay home, take care of your families. We understand. And they, they stayed true to that. And, you know, the only bad that really came out of that was a couple of, of, um, talent releases that Sadie Gibbs and, and Brie Sadie Gibbs and B Priestley being the two primary examples of, of talent that were impacted by that just because they weren't able to, you know, fly into the States. Whereas Jimmy Havoc was a little bit of a different situation. Um, Jimmy had his own demons and, and through those demons, he had to go. And it's unfortunate because he was kind of in a, a position of prominence, not not an every week type of competitor, but he was in a, a unique storyline with Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford, and they were forming a, a faction. It was really encouraging to see that for, for Kip and Penelope, that they were going to get some kind of a rub off of Jimmy Jacobs. I think the, the situation that they're in now with Miro is, is much better. And I'm sure that's kind of them picking up that thread and, and bringing this over the finish line, so to speak. But COVID-19 crippled a lot of businesses and AEW was able to ride out, you know, this, this first and second wave of the coronavirus with really minimal, um, minimal damage. And that doesn't happen without strong leadership and good morals and good principles. So good on Tony Khan, good on AEW. We're taking a really, really shitty uh, situation, a, a global situation, and being able to find a way to continue to do business. I would love to get your thoughts on our topic today. What do you think? Do you think that this list is fair? If not, why? Let me know. Twitter, Instagram, the usual spots at Corey A. Atkinson. That's C O R E Y A A T K I N S O N. Or you can um, hit me up on the PW Elitists um, Twitter and Instagram as well at PW Elitists. If you want to send us an email, great. We love email. You can do that at PW at gmail.com. 
That's the show for this week. Thank you guys for taking the time to join us. It really means the world to me. Take care of yourself. Take care of your families. And we'll be back maybe later this week or next week, depending on uh, schedule and availability and job interviews and such. But I hope that you're doing well. For the PW Elitist Podcast, I'm Corey Atkinson. Wishing you all the best. Take care. What is my trash about that? Later, dudes. S you and your A's. Don't wear a C and J all over your B's.